You know, I hear from a lot of people who are struggling with confidence. Just seems like there's a lot of obstacles, being beat down, rejection, and so on. I'm going to give you one tip you can use immediately to increase your confidence. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, thanks for your questions that you always keep submitting to me. Always enjoy to open those and go through those. Got some doozies again today. Questions like this. Dan, lately I've been feeling discouraged. I'm not sure if I should continue and hope for the best or if I should start looking for another job before I get fired. How about this one? Already retirement age, 67, divorced after 39 years to an unfaithful spouse, not enough money to pay bills, going under financially. Can I survive? Well, somebody wants to know, Dan, I'm not a good reader and I lose interest after five pages of continual reading. Is there something more beneficial in reading the book rather than listening to the book? Now, that's the one where I'm going to introduce this one tip you can use. We're going to leverage audio, reading, those things, and open up with one tip that's going to transform your confidence. Dan, I love my work, but it only produces hobby income. Do you think online businesses are recession-proof or perhaps a bit more recession-resistant, at least than traditional jobs? Now, here's our quotation for today. This comes from one of our 48 Days coaches. You've heard me talk about him before, Micah McGreevy. He said yesterday in a conference call, something that just really was profound. This is the quotation I want you to hear. The version of me that is struggling financially is not the best version of me. Now, Michael is not struggling financially at this point, but he remembers that. And he says, I mean, what a profound statement. The version of me that is struggling financially is not the best version of me. So if you really want to be your best, give your best, offer your best, Yeah, you got to address that part. And that's something realistic. We want you to be able to address that and go on. Well, here's some good news. When a young Waffle House worker was left alone to run an entire restaurant, empathetic customers jumped in to help. Now, this was just last week, just a, well, just a couple days ago, down in Birmingham, Alabama, due to a scheduling mishap, one frantic Waffle House worker was left alone to run the entire restaurant on a Sunday night. Ethan Crispo was just one of about 30 hungry customers who wanted food at midnight. After sitting at his table for a while, he noticed there was just one distressed employee available to take orders, cook food, bus tables, manage the cash register. Well, he realized he was going to have a hard time getting service there. Now, the employee, who was, his name was Ben, seemed to be on the brink of panic until Crispo saw him speaking to a male customer in a blue shirt sitting at the counter. After a brief conversation, Ben handed this person that was sitting at the counter an apron and the man got to work washing dishes it was a transition so smooth i initially assumed it was a staff member returning to their shift after a break it wasn't it was a kind stranger a couple minutes later a woman in high heels and a sequin dress briskly strode behind the counter to brew more coffee 
She then started taking orders before she resigned herself to bussing tables. Then a third customer in a red shirt marched over to help as well. Well, he says the term customer service took on a whole new meaning that night. He, this guy who was telling the story finally remembers it as a surreal example of humanity at its finest. It was the most fascinating thing, he said. It was just one of the most wild instances of really, really cool people just coming together. It made a difference to many people that night. Certainly, their actions made an impact on me. He added, humanity isn't just good, it's great. Is that awesome or what? We'd walk into a restaurant, now most people would, you know, grumble, complain, call the management, leave a bad review. Well, these customers just jumped in to help. I mean, it's a kitchen. How complicated can it be? Jump in and help. Well, just a great story. All right, now I want you to I want to play a real short clip here and then respond to something that I shared last week where I talked about AI interviews, artificial intelligence interviews, where instead of talking to a real person, you just talk to a computer screen. Well, this is a message. How do you combat all this technology where you can't uh, communicate with people anymore? It's just machines. All right, short and sweet. How do you combat technology? where all you're doing is talking to machines. Well, we talked last week about AI, artificial intelligence interviews, where more and more companies, I mean, if you have a thousand employee or candidates for one employee position, how do you take the time to screen all of those? Well, they're using artificial intelligence to screen and go through those candidates and narrow down to three that they then may see individually, personally. Well, Ben Eubanks is a longtime listener of the podcast. He wrote in, he said, um, I heard the question last week about AI interviews, wanted to offer some inside information. He says, I actually wrote a book for recruiters and HR professionals about how these work and how to use them. One of my cautions in the book is not to automate at the expense of having human connections during the hiring process. I actually advise the technology companies in this space on how to be more human-centric in their product design. In some ways, using these tools can make the process less biased and more fair for candidates to, get, to be able to show their true capabilities through the hiring process versus just being selected or not based on a resume. We actually did some research on this. And Ben's going to offer to send it to me. I'm delighted to add that to our resources here. He says, actually, many of the video tools are, are weaving in assessments now. So the employer gets not only some verbal answers, but also insights into candidate cognitive abilities or behavioral tendencies. I know you're a fan of assessments for finding the right fit. However, if employees use these and other emerging tools purely to keep candidates at arm's length, then they are creating an overall negative experience and will start to drive candidates away from their company. It's a delicate balance for sure. Happy to be a resource on this. If anyone needs clarification or more information, keep up the good work, my friend. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate your input on that. Uh, it's something we know is happening. It's just another use of technology a technology by itself, it's like a brick. It's neither good or bad by itself. You can use a brick to smash somebody's window or to build a cathedral. Same way with technology, it can be used negatively, and we certainly see examples of that, but it can also be used positively. And if you're a job seeker and are confronted with this opportunity to do an AI, artificial intelligence interview, hey, just do it well. That's an opportunity to make yourself shine. 
And it's uh, just part of the process, part of the world that we live in today. Tia says, Dan, lately I've been feeling discouraged. A little over a year ago, I felt inspired to start a new career after listening to your podcast. I have now been at my new position since August of last year, and I'm in fear of losing it. I switched careers to become a financial advisor, and so far I really enjoy it, but I'm having difficulty reaching my goals required to keep my job. I feel like my main struggle is that I'm not much of a salesperson, and I feel awkward every time I try to talk to sell somebody something. I really enjoy talking to people and helping people, and I do want to continue in the field, but I just don't know how to find people or approach people who have a lot of money to invest. I feel like an outsider since this whole new world to me, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the right fit. I have a family to take care of, and I'm, being very con- I'm becoming very concerned. I'm not sure if I should continue, hope for the best, or if I should start looking for another job before I get fired. I need your advice, help. All right, Tia, here's the deal. A couple, couple clear points here. Hope is not a strategy. Now, I love the word hope and wishing and dreaming, but those are not strategies. So you really need a clear plan, not just hope. That's not going to serve you well. And I'll come back to whether or not you should look for another job. Let's go back to what it is you're doing, financial advisor. Now, that's a fancy term, kind of a nice sounding term, but really, to, to keep a job as a financial advisor, you're selling financial products. You can't just be paid by people who are struggling financially a fee and the way you make money as a financial advisor. And, you know, they're giving, giving these titles to people in banks a lot as well. Just these, you know, your customer service rep or whatever. The bottom line is if you're not selling products to people, you're not going to keep your job. So you probably recognize that, but this is a sales position. So you can ask yourself, is this kind of selling a fit for you? Now, we all are selling, no matter what it is you're doing. If you're a teacher, pastor, stay-at-home mom, you know, we're all selling. But you ought to be able to find a match for the kind of selling that you do well. If you are real empathetic and caring and concerned about people, as it seems you are in your response here, you know, there might be another kind of selling where there's a higher ticket item. You could be selling MRI machines, where you contact hospitals and medical clinics. they It's no surprise when you show up. They know they need what you have. You do a presentation to show why it's beneficial for them. You know, they take three months and then make a multi-million dollar decision and you get a commission. You can do well with that. But if we're in something where you have to be selling small dollar items and you have to do that over and over and over every day, yeah, it may not fit you well. And you may that recognize this is not a good fit. That being said, if you really recognize that, then yes, you should be looking for another job. Now, don't wait until you get fired. For one thing, if you're on the verge of getting fired, you probably already have your compensation in question. If you have any of your compensation tied to productivity, you're probably, you know, squeaking by already. Yeah. Go back Take a fresh look. You said that you were inspired to find a new career, so you know how that's done. But go back and look at that again. Tweak what it is you're looking for. Do another job search, and I encourage you to do that immediately. Again, just as a, a, a remember our, our quotation for today, the version of me that is struggling financially is not the best version of me. And I'm sure that's true for you. You can't be your best self if you're struggling personally, financially. Now, this comes from Mary. 
She says, I'm already retirement age, 67, divorced after 39 years, not enough money to pay the bills, going under financially, unable to pay your fees, talking to me as a coach, so sending question, and that's perfectly fine, Mary. She describes background, bachelor's degree, home ec teacher for a short time, and then she's been a realtor in two different states. She's going to lose her license in Oregon if I can't take classes and pay the fees before December 31st. Must update Arizona license also by December 31st. Um, thinking about house flipping, but I don't know how to get started with no money. I'm in debt and my credit rating is shot. Um, on medications she has to find without money for gas. It's hard to get to where I need to go to work or eat, kind of a catch-22. So I keep telling myself, you may have very good reasons to feel sorry for yourself, but if you do, it's not living in faith. Well, Mary continues, so I'm reading your 48 Days to the Work You Love book. Um, I see you're an intelligent man. If I had the money, your counsel would be awesome. Instead, I would just ask, what might be the next thing? What should I do? I don't know how to move forward, where and how to start. Talks about she has a dog she wants to take care of. She wants to be available for the dog. Now that I've gone over the mess I'm in, could I thank you for writing 48 Days? It's really an awesome and insightful book, full of wisdom. I've already told two other people about it. The reason I'm asking these questions to you is most of the time in the book, you refer to much younger people, people that have jobs and families. Not a single divorcee that's moved to a new state and is divorced just at the time she's supposed to be retiring. Personally, I think your book should be required reading for high school students. Well, thanks for your comments, Mary, on that. I mean, you, you're, you're going to be okay. So you're 67, but you've got a degree. You've got work experience. You've got real estate experience and licensing. Yeah, you need to update your license to keep it current. And that is absolutely going to be your best point of attack. You you already have experience, credentials in real estate. Use that as your vehicle for getting out of this temporary slump in your life. I mean, that gives you a lot of time flexibility. With real estate, being a real estate agent, you don't have to you know show up at the office a particular time, you know, be there. You can be in and out. You can take care of your dog. You can meet with clients when it works for you. So you can do all those things. And you can leverage your knowledge in real estate like nothing that I've ever seen. I mean, so you say you have no money. That's all right. Real estate gives you a really big financial shovel. You can just continue as an agent. You know, all you need to do is, you know, look nice and show up and you can do that. Get a couple of sales under your belt where you get, you know, four or $5,000 commission and you'll be okay. But just anticipate doing that, get in the game immediately to do that. You also mentioned flipping houses, but you don't have any money. Well, that's really okay. If you have the knowledge, you can find people with the money. There are a lot of people who have money who don't have the knowledge about real estate. They hear these stories. They know their deals to be made out there. I mean, my buddy Dave Ramsey, when he was totally broke, I mean, that's what he did. He found deals. I mean, he knew it wasn't going to make sense to go get a $15 an hour job. No, he got, he used his expertise. Having gone broke in real estate, he used that same expertise to get back on top again. What he did immediately was find deals. He'd go out and find really great deals. He'd take those deals to investors, add another $5,000 onto the deal. No secret about that at all. They'd buy the deal. He'd get his broker fee 
in that sense and go on. So he did that even rather than that was quicker for him than being an agent where you just show houses and hope to close a sale, you know, two months from now. But you've got some great options in doing that. And that, that's exactly where I would encourage you to start. Again, thanks for your note. Um, you, you know the principles, obviously, and you know it's self-defeating to feel sorry for yourself. You've got some challenges, like we all do, but you can use that unique expertise you've got in real estate to bring yourself, give yourself a financial tool to get back on top. Well, hey, we got a whole lot more to go here, a lot more questions, but I just want to remind you, these are real questions. They stream in, along with all the other spam email that I get at my email box. Maybe I need to change that one of these days, but right now it's askdan at 48days.com. So if you got a question or a success story you want to share, or just some insight like our readers often do, just shoot it in to me at askdan at 48days.com. Boy, in that mailbox, it gets uh, so many, so many people want to be my guest. How many times have you heard me have a guest on this show? It seems people who are sending in would at least take the time to peruse the show for five minutes and realize that this is not interview-based. I rarely have a guest on here, but I get about 30 requests a week for people to be on the show. Well, we'll go on. Gordon says... Dan, you mentioned reading two books, See You at the Top and How to Win Friends and Influence People. And yeah, there are actually five that I recommend that everybody read by the time they're about 13 years old. Those are two of them, See You at the Top and How to Win Friends and Influence People. Well, Gordon says, I'm not a good reader and I lose interest after five pages of continual reading. Also struggle to remember what was read over the last few pages. Would audio be better for me? Or is there something more beneficial in reading the book rather than listening to the book. All right, let's let's back into this a little bit here because I think this is really important. There are a lot of people who are not good readers. I mean, my son Jared is an audio listener. He struggles with reading, but he listens to books and he can tell you three years from now what's in chapter five, you know, on page 11. I mean, that kind of memory if something's really important to him. Podcast listeners have a connection with me that goes far beyond readers of my books. If you're an audio learner, then do that. I mean, audio is a a really strong connection and it helps you. It, it may help you way beyond just scanning a page and read, reading the words. Audio can be so, so powerful. I want to park here for just a minute and talk about the power of of voice. I mean, the power of using your voice. This is a key that I want to focus in on as a method to increase your confidence. So if you want to really believe something, make it a part of your life, read it out loud. I mean, if I pick up The Magic of Thinking Big, which is another one of those five books that I recommend, and I open it, let's see, let's go to, uh, so I've got here on page 52, make everything about you say, I'm confident, really confident. Practice these little techniques in your day-to-day activities, be a front seater, make eye contact, walk 25% faster, speak up, smile big. Okay, so if I read that, I can just scan over that. But what if I really want to make that part of who I am? And I look at that 
and I read, I'm confident, really confident. What if I stand up and I say, I'm confident, really confident. There's a whole different assimilation of that material if I do that. Think about this. You get up in the morning and you do your devotions and you pray, you know, Lord, help me be strong today. You know, I'm going to go out there. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And you just kind of, you know, mumble or just do it silently like most people do. They don't, don't pray out loud when they're by themselves at all. What if, in fact, you really did stand up and say, Lord, help me to be strong today, to walk with confidence, to fulfill my purpose and to bring hope, encouragement and inspiration to those people I meet today. I mean, think about the power that that gives you to speak it. So if you're reading a book, you may, you may have one quotation, one just short paragraph in a book that you really want to remember. It, it struck you. If you stand up and read it aloud, you're going to get that message. It's going to stick with you a whole lot longer. Now, when I do this podcast, I stand up. I'm doing it in an audio format, obviously, but I stand up because it changes my voice. I know that I speak with more clarity and confidence when I'm standing. If you're going to do a phone interview for a job, stand up when you're on the phone. Now, I even recommend that you stand in front of a mirror so you can see yourself and ask yourself, would I be excited about talking to this person? Am I getting a sense of energy and enthusiasm here? You do that by using your own voice. You can immediately have more confidence, come across as having more enthusiasm. Remember that scene in the King's speech? I hope you've watched it. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Anyway, there's that scene, that really poignant scene, and I'm going to play it for you here, where, well, the, the king who was working with a voice coach had problems stuttering. He could not speak well. He stuttered. He knew it was a real cloud over his leadership and people taking him seriously. So he's working with this coach. Well, this is a scene. Well, let, let, me, let me play this for you and then I'll comment on it. What are you doing? Get up. You can't sit there. Get up. Why not? It's a chair. No, it, that is not a chair. That is... That is that is St. Edward's chair. People have that carved their names on it. chair is the seat on which every king is held and queen... by a large rock. That is the stone of Schoon. You are, are trivializing oh, you everything. You trivialize... I don't care how many royal arsenals have sat Listen to me! Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? By divine right, if you must. I am your king. No, you're not. You told me so yourself. You said you didn't want it. Why should I waste my time listening because to Because I have a right to be, and I have a voice! Yes, you do. Oh my gosh. I still get goosebumps when I hear that. It was so powerful. I have a voice. And that was the beginning of the breakthrough where the king was then able to get over his stuttering because he, he got to that guttural point in his physique and his emotions to scream that I have a voice. Well, you don't need to be that dramatic, perhaps. But if you want to increase your confidence, use your voice. Listen to your voice. Think about how you can improve your voice. I mean, I work with a voice coach. I've had the same voice coach, Dr. Ralph Hillman, for years and years and years. 
And about every once a year or so, I say, Ralph, I need a tune-up. And I go talk to him. And we work on my voice, how to speak from my diaphragm, how to speak instead of just being a light chest, airy kind of voice. I work on that because I think it's important in what I do. But that's one of those techniques you can move into and it can transform your level of confidence, how people see you and the opportunities as a result. Aaron says, don't know if this is the place to ask this question. I'm struggling to find a side hustle idea. Feel a bit paralyzed in this spot. I work full time. I also study pretty much on a full time basis as well. Master's degree program through my workplace. So that takes up three hours a night of homework. I work as a chaplain in a senior citizen housing organization, and I'm studying for my MDiv. That's Masters of Divinity. I love my work, but I'm very much committed to developing a side hustle idea. It just needs to be something that runs as passively as possible. feel like I'm bumping my head against the wall trying to figure out what idea would be a good fit. I hope this is, I hope your answer can help me. Well, golly, great question, Aaron. You know, it sounds like a, an online business provided some kind of product. Maybe the good a good fit for you. You you want a side hustle, you're very busy, you don't have a lot of time, so you need something where there's a system in place, where it's not something that's just trading your time for dollars. I mean, you could do a side hustle by driving for Uber, but that means it's just time. You've got to be there. You need something that allows you to continue working full-time as a chaplain, and then also doing your studying as you want to do. So you need to have something put in place. Now, certainly, you know, you can look 48 days and go through and see a lot of examples. We have books, courses, eBooks, online communities. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that are a system that create income, even if I'm not there personally. So you have to, you know, do you have something like that? Could you take your ability, your knowledge, your expertise as a chaplain and turn that into some kind of a little instructional course that other chaplains could go through? Is there some unique knowledge you have about being a chaplain in a senior citizen area? Well, you you may find something that lends itself to that. Now, you could also just find something online. I mean, you can have old baseball cards or something where you're buying them and putting them back up for sale and have that be the kind of ongoing machine. We've got a lot of people in the 48 Days Eagles community who have online businesses and some of them are doing like Fulfilled by Amazon where they find products centered in Amazon, then they post it, people buy it, it's delivered, they get the money or people who have a particular product. There are people who have chosen just one particular product line, find four or five different manufacturers, but they have a site that promotes that. They use Google AdWords. I mean, there's, I'm blasting through a lot of details here. I know that are important, but just to give you some ideas, yeah, it's very doable to then have an idea. I'm looking here in my office at, at model cars. You know, you could, if you understand cars and have an affinity for that, you could do that where you buy model cars. They're available lots of places. You know, you may buy online in bulk, somebody's collection where they have 80 of them and you buy the whole thing or it's last year's model of cars and you buy those out of liquidation and then you post them individually and that continues to bring in money for you. So certainly there's a lot of things like that that you can do. Now this is the deal. You know, and I don't, I don't want this to sound like a, a downer at all, but the fact that you're working as a chaplain 
in a senior citizen facility and you're working on your MDiv, you get your master's of divinity, you know, you're setting yourself up for career direction. It's probably never going to generate a whole lot financially. So I commend you on looking because, you know, you're going to probably want something on an ongoing basis that generates a decent income for you. You can blend the two. And if you have a heart for the work that you're doing, I mean, that's commendable, but you may frustrate yourself in trying to make that be your primary source of income. So having a side business, you know, last week we did that webinar where we talked about how to use 15 hours a week to build a side business that produces significant income in six months. Oh, if you haven't heard that, go back to, uh, well, just go to the 48dayseagles.com. I think we got a link there, but uh, that's still available. You can go listen to that seminar and go through where I share the ideas about how to do that, how to build a side biz. Kim says, it's another one that's kind of the same theme here. Kim says, Dan, I've been a fan for a number of years. I have both binders. One is the 48 days to the work you love. I don't remember the other. You developed the 48 days to the work on the side. That was, that was 48 days creative income. So I used to have two three ring binders. One was 48 days to the work you love. So it had content in there printed just one side. So it made it thicker, you know, in a three ring binder. And then we had two cassettes in there, just the lick and stick. You peel off the back of a little cassette. Well, put it in there back before we had CDs and other audio formats. But I had that for 48 days to the work you love. And then I did 48 days to creative income because so many people were saying, I'm not sure I want another J-O-B. You know, I want the freedom and flexibility. I don't want to be vulnerable. I lost my job three times in the last two years. I'm tired of that. I need to move into something where I'm more in the driver's seat. So I did 48 Days to Creative Income. That was years ago. That content became the book, No More Dreaded Mondays, which of course is still available. So that's the kind of, anyway, Kim said she had both of those. Boy, that goes back a few years. And I was one of the $1 to hear you on the phone. <laughs> there, there was, I remember what she's talking about back when we were just experimenting with teleseminars, again, using technology, it was pretty new technology. And I thought, wow, would people really pay just to listen in on the phone rather than being in a room where we were all together? So we, we did a, um, a seminar. I think it was, I think it was like on how to start your own side business. I think that's what it was way back then. We were talking about ideas that were pertinent and relevant back then. And we charged a dollar. We charged a dollar for that seminar. Now it was mainly just so we could capture your email address because we were building a list. And the only way we could do that is to give you some reason that you had to put in your email address. So we charged a dollar, just a nominal fee, but we had I think it was 4,786 people, I think it was, that registered for that seminar. So that was a pretty good evening, even if the real focus wasn't to make money, it was to get the email addresses. Anyway, Kim says she was part of that. I'll get back to her note here. So Kim says, I've become a, a coach through Dave Ramsey. In 2007, I've, seen, I've gone through a divorce, and I've seen the Lord take care of me. What I haven't seen is the money. So far, I can only make it a hobby according to tax and income standards. Do you have any insight for me in this area? Well, here again, Kim, you know, this is one of those tough areas. I mean, you, you can serve and love poor people, but you're probably never going to make a living in doing just that. So in your coaching, make sure that you also have in your target audience 
people who have the means to pay you well. I mean, we teach our 48 days coaches to start with $120 per session. I mean, they're required to do 48 hours of paid coaching to become certified in our coaching mastery program. Well, you can do the math on that 48 hours at 120, you know, that's about $5,000, a little more than that. We want them to do that just as part of their training. So you've got to figure out how can you generate money? Now, now here's another thing you've got, well, kind of related to what I just shared here. You need to have some people in your target audience who have the means by which to pay you. I mean, we get requests all the time for materials. You know, got requests recently for somebody in, I think it was Kansas City, who's working in, um, well, in a program that helps moms go from welfare to work. So moms are used to being on welfare. Now they're training them. And I said, you know, we don't have a lot of resources, but we'd love to have some of your materials. You know, can you give us something that we could use in the library? I said, well, absolutely. I went through my books, you know, I tons of books always went through my books and we pulled out like 50 or 60 books just to give them a really robust career library. And then a generous supply of all the 48 days materials that they can use there in the, now we're able to do that because we have other areas of our business that are profitable. If we did just that, we'd kill the golden goose. You know, we we can't do that. You can't continue just to love and serve poor people. You've got to figure out what is it that you have to offer that you can, in fact, create a reasonable living for yourself. So if you leverage your expertise and start thinking about you know, seminars, courses, online communities, things that you could do that allow income to show up you know, while you're sleeping, that leverage that whole process. So all of a sudden you have a robust financial model, but you've got to move beyond just individual coaching to be able to make a living, to be able to make that happen. God, I wish we could, you know, Kim, check out, check out our coaching mastery program. Just go through the things that we teach, even if you aren't in a position to go through that, go through the things that we teach people in there, how to position themselves as profitable coaches. I mean, that's one of the distinctives, and this is not a sales pitch for coaching mastery. We've got lots of people in there. It's wonderful to work with them and see them thriving and prospering. People like Michael McGreevy, whose quotation we use today, I mean, he came in at a construction background, and position himself as a coach and is absolutely thriving in helping men move into their areas of excellence. But we're known in our coaching program for helping coaches create a very profitable practice. And there's a lot of coaching training out there, a lot of it. And we get a lot of people that come to ours who have all those acronyms behind their name. They're already certified master coaches and they have a certification from here, there, and every, but they don't know how to make money. They understand the dynamics of coaching, but they don't know how to make money. I mean, that's one of the real clear distinctives of our coaching mastery program is helping you understand not only the psychodynamics of coaching, but the business of coaching and how to do that well. Well, I mean, let me just wrap up with one more here. This comes from, uh, well, it comes from from Greg. Greg says, do you think online businesses are recession proof or perhaps a bit more recession resistant than traditional jobs? I don't think even many of today's online businesses were around during the great recession of 2008. So I don't know how they'd fare. It's interesting to think about. Well, I do think that they are more recession proof. Now here's why. Let me use, let me use 
my own situation just to create an example. I obviously love books. So as an author, it'd be really easy because I enjoy my books and other people's books to to say, I'm going to open a little bookstore here in Franklin, Tennessee. Franklin's a wonderful little town, real quaint, kind of that old hometown feel, steel. People are really loyal and compassionate, caring, just all those wonderful qualities. Let's open a little bookstore here. Well, with that, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have about a five mile radius of customers. I mean, people aren't going to drive a hundred miles for a bookstore, about five miles. So I need to look at that five mile radius and I need to get a pretty big percentage of the prospects for people who want to buy books in that area. And I'm going to have to then deal with sign permits and workman's comp and leases and all those things with having a retail store. So now let's change that. So, so what happens though, if there is a downturn in the economy in Franklin, Tennessee, I'm going to immediately be impacted by that. But let's tweak that. Let's make that instead of having a physical bookstore, let's do an online bookstore where I make those books available. Well, now who do I have as my potential audience? There's no geographical barriers on it. It's not five miles. It's not 10 miles. It's not a thousand miles. It's literally anybody in the world theoretically has access to that store 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter if a hundred people come in at once. And if the next hour, there's nobody, I don't need to worry about staffing irregularities like that. No sign permits, no evening and weekend hours for myself. People can come in at 3 a.m. while I'm sleeping, make a purchase, get it in their hands and walk out the door because most of our products are delivered digitally. And if there's a downturn in the economy in Franklin, Tennessee, it probably has zero impact because it's an online business. So you make yourself immune to those irregularities that are based on geography. So if Italy goes into recession or France or Germany or England, if I have an online business, it's not going to have much impact. So yeah, I consider online businesses to be way more resistant to downturns, recession, ups and downs than physical businesses. That's why it's so popular. It's so appealing to do that. Golly, gotta love it. Well, hey, let's wrap things up here. If you are stuck in a J-O-B, you know you want to move. You know now's the time. Don't just hope. Don't just hope that something's going to better happen in, in the new year. No, 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 no. You want to make a plan. You want to be, and speaking of plans, I hope that by now, I mean, now we're at the end of November, certainly beyond the time where I recommend that you have clear goals set out for 2020. If you haven't done that yet, that's okay. No guilt, no shame. Just go to 48days.com slash goals and you get our free worksheet there. Work through that. I'm hearing from a whole lot of people who are really jazzed about what they're able to see on paper because they've decided to put themselves in the driver's seat to move through that be on top with what they want to accomplish next year. So I hope you're doing that. Well, it's always a pleasure to spend this time on the highlights of my week. I get to stand up and use my voice. Encourage you to do the same. Experiment with how you can use your voice to change how people view you. You can increase your confidence, your energy, your enthusiasm, and thus have other people see those things in you by simply how you use your voice. Use it to your benefit. Well, hey, thanks for being part of this community where we know together we can 
find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, don't settle for less. It's a beautiful day. Don't let it go. It's gonna take your whole heart. It's gonna take all you've got. So make